0: idea that this is something that's worth preserving rather than worth chucking away. Who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. Dusty, Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of environment.
1: Welcome to Uncertainty Playground, a podcast about design research from the London College of Communication. I'm the Dean of Design, Dr. Nikki Ryan. Uncertainty Playground is the title of our exhibition for the London Design Festival. It's inspired this series, which takes you behind the scenes as we prepare for the exhibition. We'll give you a taste of what's coming up in the festival and we'll be talking about how design can define, address and make meaning from the ambiguities and uncertainties that we currently face. In this episode we'll be reimagining George Orwell's room 101 and talking about how we control our past. The academics researching design histories and futures at LCC have devised this show called Room 2084. It focuses on the LCC archives, asks what the future of archiving holds and explores the politics of preservation and representation. Two of that team, Dr. Ian Horton and Robert Urquhart, will be creating a living archive, something they call an inverted room 101.
0: Hi there, I'm Robert Urquhart, uh, lecturer on the Design Management and Cultures BA. And I'm Ian Horton
2: and I'm a reader in Graphic Communication.
1: We're in the LCC archives at the moment. You can hear the low hum of the air conditioning. It's really cold in here. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about the archives Ian and what they contain.
2: Okay, this is the University um, Archive and Special Collections Room. Um, We're actually in the area where the um, archive is stored. It has a substantial collection which relates to the College's history, so there's Tom Eckersley's work in here. Um, There are also things that are external to the University and the College, so we have material from Uh, Stanley Kubrick not the films themselves but location photographs um, a lot of letters dealing with the making and the production of film Uh, and in my own research interest there's a substantial collection of comic books and fanzines which was donated by Les Coleman. It's constantly being added to, so there is still some spare capacity in the archive and it's kind of interesting to see what kinds of new things that we put in here.
1: Can you tell us a bit about how these collections were acquired for LCC and what their significance is?
2: Yeah, uh, there are a number of different ways when, in which the archive is put together. So uh, a substantial part of it is material that's gathered from um, staff, alumni and students, and we have a strong body of work that was um, literally donated in a way by being worked here. Um, there are also collections which are bequeathed on somebody's death, um, so families often don't know what to do with somebody's individual collection. You know, it's, it's interesting how these things come in different ways. A lot of it is through connections of staff um, and that they know people. People then can't keep archives in their own possession because they become too extensive or families don't want them on somebody's death and then they end up with us.
1: Robert, can you say a bit about the Living Archive that you're creating um, as part of your group show, which is part of Uncertainty Playground, the London Design Festival exhibition?
0: Yeah, it's a it was a really interesting sort of brief anyway to come up with the idea of, of working with uh, the archive. Obviously, the archive here is fairly well known. We've already mentioned Kubrick, and we wanted to do something that was participatory. When most people consider archives, they would consider a kind of dusty Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of environment. And although archives are quite often places where work is preserved, stored, and there is an element of, uh, of, of kind of a warehouse about them, there's a kind of increasing um, look at the future of archives. And that's something that we wanted to to embrace. We wanted it to be participatory, which means some kind of engagement, contribute uh, contributions uh, from staff, alumni, students that work within uh, LCC, and so we sort of thought about what's you know what could that entail, and that really for us is about looking at something like Orwell and uh, who controls the past. And from that, we decided to sort of look at the kind of inverted Room 101, something that was lighthearted, humorous to a certain extent, but also something that could really talk about putting collections forward to a jury or uh, a panel, a discussion taking place. And then the contributors to the show, they would then put their uh, collections forward and we would select them uh, in a kind of the opposite of Room 101, the idea that this is something that's worth preserving rather than than chucking away.
1: So the show is going to be called Room 2084. So that's thinking about Orwell's 1984. Can you talk a bit about the relationship between 1984 and what you're going to be doing in Room 2084,
2: Ian? The full quote from Orwell is, who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. And we're very much concerned with the idea that the archive is a place that institutionalizes people's collections. It therefore becomes something that is a reflection of our past. But is it the right stuff we're collecting? And so part of the idea was that we wanted to open things up a bit more and question the value of what we already have collected and think about some of the things that we should perhaps be collecting for the future. So in part we were thinking well this is our past we're looking at but we're thinking should this be the future that is then preserved for others to carry on the research that we do.
1: Perhaps you could say little bit about some of the criticisms about archives. They're about selection and preservation, but it's not a neutral activity, is it? So perhaps you could say something about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the traditional role of of an archive is really to acquire, to uh, process, and then to sort of describe the work on on show. And like with any form of curation or any form of collection, there are varying sort of uh, necessity for having an archive sometimes it's the uh, allegedly the you know the best of the best or something that is uh, seen as as having some kind of life beyond its own initial remit moving forward if we're to talk about you know what are people collecting it the, one of the bigger bigger debates uh, around this is the idea of digital archives. Although that's not necessarily something that we're discussing in this exhibition, I think that the, there's so many debates at the moment about the role of an archive, who archives are for, and if they're to be uh, widened, rather like you know debates around libraries, you know, is there another use for an archive? I think that's something that we're exploring in the room twenty eighty four, because we are hopefully making uh, an archive uh, or or a debate around an archive into a performance.
1: I know that Orwell was very concerned about the silence of archives, in other words, those um, unrepresented voices. And I think the, the title is really interesting. I'd like to say a bit more about the quotation you've used from Orwell um, in your show and how that will work. And also perhaps you could just say a bit more about 1984, the kind of a synopsis of what it is and why that's relevant to your show.
0: I mean, archives are often seen as kind of mining raw material and then refining that material, and then turning that material into something that is then disseminated through books, articles, shows, things like that. And I think, you know, Orwell was often talking about who are the gatekeepers for this refinery process. The debate, the wider debate around, for instance, fake news or what is reality in terms of, you know, the, the plethora of uh, 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 abundance of of information that we have is something that's obviously very, you know, has been relevant since Orwell wrote it and is, is, it continues to be so. What we're putting forward in this is challenging, in a sense, who is the audience for people's collections, these private collections perhaps, that people wouldn't have considered uh, bringing in to, to an archive before, because we have got no particular barrier of entry for the people presenting their work and I think the real interesting thing will the interesting debate will come around what's worth putting in this archive and why and who for who's it for and coming back to 1984 I mean one of the interesting
2: things about Winston Smith is that he works for the Ministry of Truth Um, and just as as a quick kind of overview the whole premise of 1984 is that the world is three huge kind of super states and they're constantly at war with each other, but in different kinds of alliances. And there's a really kind of touching description at one point where um, he goes into work and they've changed who they're in alliance with and who they're fighting. This means that every single document that they hold in the Ministry of Truth has to be amended. So they and they just do this. They, there's no instruction. There's no order. They just change every bit of detail. So that previous war did not exist. That previous alliance never happened. And in some ways, an archive is a bit like that because you can spin what is in the archive very tellingly and very effectively.
0: I think the 2084 idea is that archives can be lost. Archives can can disappear, uh, and that can sometimes be to do with format as well as anything else that. Things stop being made in order to be able to display or, or, or promote or show what the collection was about? And I think those kind of questions will come up when we start bringing in people's personal archives. And, you know, is one of those questions, are they relevant to everyone? Does an archive have to be popular?
1: Archives are also about identity, and so through this show you're collectively shaping a view of what London College of Communication is. Can you speak a little bit more about how the archive relates to the identity of this college?
2: I guess there's a very long heritage of it being the London College of Printing previously. The archive here actually holds quite a lot of material that relates to that period in time. Um, But... It is a living community that changes. So in some ways this is saying, okay, we have got a heritage and that's part of it, but we're not really going to be showing that in the, in the exhibition at all. We're much more interested in, well, what is it that the staff we've got here now, or recent alumni who've graduated from here, or even staff members who've moved to other institutions, what it is that they have bought into our environment so it's really to show shifts I think that have happened within teaching within our concerns within our interests and how that feeds into courses as well.
0: We're entering a very interesting period where we can start to really think about how do we how do we move forward with the heritage that we do have but also bearing in mind that the kind of work that students are producing now may be um, Looking around us today, we're looking at boxes of scripts and, and film reels. The kind of work that students are doing today may not necessarily fit in a cardboard box or be stored at 14 degrees in a cold store. So I think it's, it's it as much as the heritage is important, I think it's really interesting to think about what out of the students graduating uh, today will be, how will their work be, be archived and stored and also this is a generation that you talk about archive, Google has to be mentioned and search engine optimization. Uh, do we just go to the nearest and dearest or do we do we really push forward? And I think one of the things that London College of Communication does very well is not go to, for the softest option first, not go for the easiest route through, is to uh, train up all staff and students to look at every option and be able to understand the tools. And those tools haven't really changed over the years at a basic level. Next year, we're hoping to be able to offer an option called Archive
2: Fever to second year students to specifically delve into this particular area, as it seems to have kind of grown in interest over the last few years.
1: Uncertainty Playground is the overarching theme for the London Design Festival, and it's all about being playful. Orwell's was a very dystopian view of the future. So how does the playfulness come into your particular show?
0: Well, hopefully it was a work of fiction. But <laughs> increasingly, obviously, uh, perhaps not. Um, well, you know, I, I very populist route through. For me, Room 101 was a TV programme as much as it was uh, a part of a, a seminal book. And the idea of bringing people in to quiz them about their fascination with subject matter or a, a collection of items and then to place them in a special place should they win it turns it all into a bit of a game show which I'm not averse to to putting forward I think it's quite a, a, a nice way of of debating you know things that could be actually quite dry and difficult to discuss I think the, the uncertainty is certainly there because we're obviously you know we unlike Orwell we can't predict the future but at, at the same time the kind of um the the playground will certainly be in force. I think having a jury does tend to give a bit of a Eurovision Song Contest kind of feel to things anyway, no matter where the jury is. Um, I think that's always a healthy thing. I don't think anything isn't worth saving. I don't think we're going to be sort of setting fire, binning work or items that people bring in. But it certainly will reflect on this kind of idea of a gatekeeper. Who are the gatekeepers? You know, what are the criteria? For saving work for the future.
1: Could you describe for us what the space will look like as well?
2: Yeah, in terms of the, the space, the idea is to actually use um, elements from a exhibition that's going to happen over the summer, which is called Sounds from the Archive, um, which is going to take uh, music and um, sound art as its basic kind of areas of collections. And this is going to be shown in the LCC studio. Um, And the material that's produced for that, so a lot of material is going to be um, photographed and blown up and used as almost poster displays, Um, will then form the backdrop for one of the walls. Um, And then over the top of that, we will put our collection because ours is kind of going over the top of the existing archive in some ways. Um, Then, around the walls, there will be very, very plain, simple shelves with evidence bags, in which everybody's objects will be held, uh, and those will be chained together. Um, So that you can't access the objects, they are protected and preserved as evidence. Uh, And then, there will be a podium where the speakers, when they're presenting their particular objects, they will be able to stand on the podium, and behind them will be the quote from Orwell that we mentioned earlier. So they'll be kind of framed against that quotation.
1: You described the show and the series of events. How will you critically frame this for the audience?
2: One of the ways that we wanted to frame this is, as well as bringing in um, the members of the archive here at LCC and UAL, but to actually invite other people who research externally to the university to come in and we'll have a symposium event. And at this then we'll be able to evaluate the kind of things that we are, showing, but also then to bring in some of that criticality about what the current situation of thinking about archives is. Um, We as the curators don't pretend to be the experts in the field, but what we're encouraging is other experts to come in and to help us to frame what it is that we're doing and the process that we're
0: undertaking. I guess one of the things in terms of talking about curation is that we are facilitating, rather perhaps than curating in this instance. We're facilitating the debate with facilitating those that feel that they want to join in by donating for the period of the exhibition their particular collections. And because of our neutral ground in this as facilitators, I think that's going to open up perhaps a discourse between parties that perhaps wouldn't traditionally meet or mingle because of the very nature of their jobs.
1: When you say neutral ground, I would challenge that. There's no neutrality in selection because you've already selected the people that are going to be putting forward their objects. So one of the debates about archives is that there is no neutrality, that every process is a form of selection.
2: There is one answer to that in that it will be... right. Our idea is that it's cascaded out. So yes, we had people that we initially invited, but the invite to them is to invite others. Um, and in particular those that we don't know exist um, or particularly students that we might not ourselves teach or have any contact with so we don't know whether they are collectors or not and then that gives the opportunity for many more people to be brought into the situation
0: and I naive as ever don't know although I know the people that we have in this show I don't know what they collect and the things that we think they might choose to display may not be displayed they may choose something
2: else and many of them may actually question the idea that they are collectors at all and i have been quite annoyed about the fact that we said you're a collector and
0: they go well really am I a collector?
2: and it's like well you've got things
0: <laughs> there are some negative one of my favourite books is The Collector by John Fowles and the idea of collecting butterflies or collecting humans, hopefully we won't have anyone who collects humans in the show or butterflies, or butterflies but I think you know it, there are there are connotations outside of academia or the, the idea of collecting something of absolute worth. I don't know whether we'll get a load of, of little green frog ceramics in the show.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, that is a kind of,
2: maybe it is a problem, maybe it's not a problem. Will it remain focused on design? Or does it actually then reveal how much designers are connected to a much wider visual, material, cultural world? Um, So, as much as we might think, yes, it's about representing design, but what is it designers do? What do they feed on? What kind of world is it that they borrow from to bring in to the world of design?
0: Almost for me, the the collection itself isn't necessarily the, the, the most important part. The most important part is the network that can form from people coming along and seeing the show and identifying with the work on display and then the conversations that happen after that because i think that's what a living archive of the future possibly is is it's a, a people-centric rather than just document or, or object-centered experience.
1: As well as The Living Archive, we'll be running a programme of events and exhibits imagining possible futures, open to the public from the 16th of September. Please subscribe to Uncertainty Playground on iTunes. And don't forget to rate and review us if you're enjoying this and share it with your network. In episode five, the show will have opened. We'll be coming to you from the exhibition itself, hearing what the visitors think of the show and discussing how this work feeds into design research and teaching practice at LCC, shaping the designers of the future. Thanks to Professor David Toop of LCC, who composed the original music for this podcast, and to my producer, Lucy Dearlove. This was a Chalk and Blade production for LCC.